0: Welcome to Conversations with Leaders, where we talk with cloud leaders from commercial enterprises to the public sector, hearing their perspectives on innovation at scale when it comes to people, culture, and organization.
1: Hi, I'm Clark Rogers, an enterprise strategist at AWS. Recently, I had the chance to sit down with John Brady, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at FINRA. In this episode, John tells us more about his role as CISO during FINRA's wide adoption of AWS as well as other issues that are top of mind for security leaders today. I hope you enjoy the conversation. John, welcome to the podcast. Would you take a moment and give our listeners some background on your career, current role, and what security risk and compliance functions you own at FINRA?
0: Sure. So if we go way back in my career, I started out as an electrical engineer and I was totally into space. So I went to work in the space business on on satellites and avionics for rockets and things like that. And one of the challenges that that we had, and this was in the late 80s, was sharing design documents. So blueprints and specifications. Uh Back then it was all done on paper. Right. And and what kind of got me down the IT path was a project that involved a, a rocket that was meant to replace the space shuttle. Uh, and a part of that program was developing an information system so that all of that design information could be shared electronically among the subcontractors all the companies that were working on different parts so it, it led me down this path where I, I started building networks and we developed essentially a web browser so an early version of the of the web Wow uh, for this project unfortunately it was, it was classified top secret, so we never open sourced it. <laughs> or we might have beat Mozilla by a few years. Um, so anyways,
1: you weren't. So you weren't a rocket scientist.
0: Uh, it, I started out as one and, and quickly realized it was not for me. It takes it takes a long time to to deliver a project like a, a complex rocket, and I, I was a little impatient for that. Let's say. But anyway, after that, I, I went to work for Sun Microsystems, kind of doing the same thing, building networks for Sun's big customers, helping them integrate distributed systems and develop develop um, you know capabilities that that they were thirsting for, so they could could run their businesses better. Uh, after that, I I worked at Citibank for a number of years, putting them on the internet as well, and, and wow. helping Citibank move. It, they had an online banking service that was dial-up based uh, that they developed in the mid-80s. Uh, and by the mid-90s, we had moved it over over to the internet uh, and it was web accessible. So that was fun. Uh, and after that, I went to a small startup that actually was near where we're recording this uh, called Network Solutions, which did the domain name registration oh, for yes. the internet. And at the time I started there, so this would have been early 98, there were maybe 200,000.com.net.org domains registered, and it took six weeks. And it was mostly a paper process. (laughs) You would would either mail in or fax in forms. I mean, it took six weeks from when you knew you wanted to get a domain to when you could have it live on the internet. It was really horrible. When I left four years later, um, it was obviously all web-based. The, the internet at that point had about 35 million domain names registered. So, right. a lot of, a lot a of, lot of growth. A lot of growth in that four year period. And it took less than a minute from, to begin the registration process in a web browser and, and pay for it and have the domain live.
1: Awesome. Yeah. That's great stuff.
0: Yeah. So, at FINRA, um, I, I'm CISO. I've been CISO at FINRA for six years now. And I've been with FINRA for a total of about 16. So before, oh, wow. before becoming CISO, I was responsible for infrastructure engineering, uh, you know, our, our big platforms for doing doing uh, the work that we do, mostly uh, the, the biggest ones are in the market regulation area. I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we, we talk about our cloud journey. Absolutely. And um, my responsibilities as CISO kind of run the gamut from, you know, policies, to technical controls, uh, you know, security tools, and, and things that, that keep our users and our organization safe from the bad things that happen out there on the internet.
1: Fantastic. In 2018, we see every industry using AWS, from government agencies to financial services, healthcare, retail, manufacturing, and oil and gas, to name a few. But back in 2013, when FINRA started exploring the use of AWS, that universal acceptance wasn't as widespread. Why did Fender start exploring the use of AWS and what led to FINRA's widespread adoption we see today?
0: Well, in a large part, it was driven by necessity. At, at that time, we were running our big data analytics on proprietary platforms, uh, so data warehouse appliances. Uh-huh. And they just couldn't scale to the volume of data and the level of concurrency that we needed to support our user base. Uh, so, we were looking for better solutions at the time. We be, had begun looking at Hadoop with MapReduce and saw a promise in, in that solution right? because, you know, since it does scale horizontally. Um, but we also were kind of growing tired of running our own data centers and building a large Hadoop cluster and maintaining it. Is a big undertaking in terms of you know rack space, cabling the network. I mean, it's just there's a lot of work that you gotta do to Absolutely. maintain it. And then you know, obviously components fail and you gotta repair them and replace them. And it's just a pain. So we we said, what if we could make that somebody else's pain? And that's what main reason why we started looking at cloud. We we want we knew we needed scalability. But the way our business runs, especially in the market regulation place uh, area, is that um, that scalability, that need for scalability varies greatly from day to day, from, from week to week, sure. month to month, you know, even even over years. Um, and often we see large peaks in stock market activity that only last for a week or two. And okay. then the stock market's kind of calm back down again. So buying all the capacity that we needed to absorb those peaks gracefully really wasn't something we wanted to do. If it was, if we could, you know, rent that capacity when we needed it, we knew that's what would, would benefit our business. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, the combination of of these open source big data platforms and cloud just seemed like a natural fit for us. And that's what we started, started doing is uh, moving our, our big data, so our market regulation activities. Um, which, just to explain that a little more, what we do is, is we take in all the stock market orders that mm-hmm. you know a retail investor may place. They might you know, want to buy a thousand shares of Amazon, although I guess at today's share price, that, that'd be a lot of money. <laughs> um, and you know, so they place an order with their broker. The broker may break that order down into pieces and then route it to trading venues, various okay. exchanges. There's also off-off market trading venues and dark pools where some trading can occur. Uh, but ultimately, all trades have to be reported in a public forum. Okay. And we capture all of that data and stitch it together to create a life cycle for an order. And then what we do with that is we investigate. Uh, we, we run surveillance patterns, so, so it's a canned set of uh, queries and processes against the data to find anomalies in trading, you know, look for people attempting to manipulate prices uh, and, and, and other things that we consider bad for markets sure. make them unfair. Um, so it's a lot of data on a, on a given day. Uh, we're handling 30 to 50 billion events that we wow. have to adjust and, and stitch together into that order life cycle. Uh, recently, in, uh, I think it was in February or March, we were peaking for for uh, a couple of weeks at about 100 billion records a day. The markets were very, very active at wow. that time. Um, they've calmed down a little bit since then, but we're still seeing about 50 billion events a day now. To optimize our... Processing in the cloud, we, we take advantage of features that you bring to the table like auto scaling. But we've also developed our own management tools which measure market activity and predict how much capacity we need in order to uh, do our processing within our, our SLAs, within the windows that we've promised our, our internal customers. Uh, so we will predict the size of cluster needed and then spin up an EMR cluster to run our analytics. And and based on yesterday's volume, we can predict what we need tomorrow to do that. So you that can processing. have a whole
1: platform just changed every day based yes. on what the previous yep. day's and activity was.
0: And so we'll spin those up, they'll run for two to four hours, and, and we, have, we spin up tens of thousands of nodes, sometimes sure. as many as 20,000 nodes in a cluster, uh, do our processing for a few hours, and then shut them down. That's incredible. Yeah.
1: So, uh, what what kind of impact did moving the fraud detection platform to AWS have on the just the general uh, efficacy of your investigators?
0: Yeah, you know, it was actually kind of surprising. Um, you know, we set out to improve it, obviously. Sure, but we weren't didn't realize how much we were going to improve it. Uh, in in our old platforms, there were some queries, some investigative work that our our people would do that would take hours for the system to produce results. In mm-hmm. some cases, days. And there were even certain complex queries that just never came back with results, <laughs> which clearly left us with a very unhappy customer. Sure. Um, what we're seeing now is those things that took hours now take seconds. And things that you know never finished before may take minutes in our new platform. And a large part of that is due to the vast capacity we can consume in, in Amazon, um, but also it has to do with other fundamental changes we made to how we manage the data and how we, we make it queryable. So we're now pre- basically pre-computing indices in a number of dimensions that we didn't use to. And we can do that, again, because of the capacity, not only the processing, but the storage capacity that the cloud brings, capacity we just couldn't afford previously.
1: Fantastic. As the CISO, did you have any security risk or compliance concerns when moving to the cloud? And if so, how did you overcome them?
0: Yes, Clark, of course I did. I mean, as CISO, (laughs) um, you know, you have to have a certain amount of healthy skepticism in this job. Uh, and and yeah, you know, as we began moving to the cloud, as you pointed out earlier, we were a pretty early adopter, so there weren't many enterprises with our kind of security needs that had blazed a path ahead of us. Sure, I, I'm not aware of any actually, and so we had to we had to blaze our own path. And um, you know, the concerns were, I guess, in two areas. One is, you know, we needed to be able to achieve the same quality and capability of security controls in the cloud, as we were able to do in our traditional data centers at the time. So things like firewalling, you know, web application firewalling, uh, authentication of, of administrators as mm-hmm. well as users. Sure. Um, you know, so all the things that you need to do to secure your environment, logging and event management, things like that. Um, On top of that, you know, we had security tools that we integrate into our server platforms, right? right? And you need tools that will work differently in the cloud than in a traditional data center where you might build a server and it may run for years. You patch it and it's just, you know, it's always running. Where in the cloud, you want to take advantage of the elasticity we were talking about earlier. Um, And, you know, the tools needed to change. Most of the tools just wanted to be running all the time, right? So we worked with our vendors to kind of redevelop their tools so that they would self-register mm-hmm. when they start to get whatever policy they're supposed to be implementing.
1: Especially when you're sc- scaling to like exactly. the twenty thousand nodes that you yeah. mentioned earlier, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: right. So and we didn't want to have to build our own automation to make their tools work. We wanted right. the vendors to make their tools cloud friendly. So we, we were convincing them this was in their best interest <laughs> at, a, at a time where they were not seeing much demand.
1: I bet uh, they thank you today.
0: A few of those uh, those vendors listened to us and they're doing very well today as a result of that. fantastic. And you know, also there were concerns raised by our internal audit department, by members of our board, other senior leaders at mm-hmm. FINRA. You know, they, they had heard that cloud was scary, right? Right. And uh, I had to convince them that it wasn't. And I don't really have a secret sauce to this. I mean, what I had to do was understand their concerns, many of which were concerns I already had had overcome. Right. Things that I, that I had figured out the answers to. And I had to address those concerns head on, but mostly through education. You know, explain to them how we were doing things today, because they didn't even, most of them didn't know that how we were securing our current data centers. Right. Right. They it just they it just, just said, happened. Oh, it's yes. secure. <laughs> That's right. We don't want to mess with <laughs> with good things. So why are we going to the cloud? Uh, but when I explained to them, you know, what we were doing in our current data centers and the equivalent things that we could do in the cloud. Right. You know, it's different tools, different techniques employed, but you're achieving the same security control objectives with those those tools, you know, security groups instead of discrete firewalls and cloud instead of, you know, syslog and right. you know things like that. It just by addressing their concerns and explaining as much as I could to them in terms that they would understand. So it for boards, you know, talking in a language of risk is something right. they really get. Talking in technical mumbo jumbo um, their eyes glaze over and they think you're just, you know, you're, that you're not answering their question and, right. and it concerns them even further. So it's important to, to speak their language. Um, but in at that time, there were kind of some key security requirements that I identified okay. that, that we, we had to have in place so this before was their- I was comfortable moving workloads into the cloud. So
1: this was your minimum security baseline?
0: Um, so first and foremost was having a good handle on identity and access management. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the term and listeners right. have heard the term, you know, the identity is the new perimeter. That's right. Um, we were embracing that five years ago because it really is yes. obvious. <laughs> that it is. The the only way you can secure your stuff is to, to strongly authenticate everybody that's logging in. Uh, and so our approach there was to use Federation. You had just at the time... Um, or released your single sign-on, your SAML service. And we quickly adopted it and integrated our internal Active Directory Mm -hmm. with your sign-on service. So now our users could only act on FINRA resources in the cloud if they could authenticate to our internal Active Directory. So it takes almost no effort for our project teams to fully comply with our security standards. Again, because they're totally, they're baked into that deployment pipeline. You make it easy for them. Yep, we make it easy. And developers, I love developers. I, <laughs> I used to be a coder. Uh, a good trait in a developer is that they're somewhat lazy. Right? So they're always gonna take the easy path, right? And uh, we make it easy for them. We, we just automate it, and it's easier for them to adopt what we've built for them than it is for them to build something new.
1: That's great. Enterprise customers who are just starting to explore the cloud are sometimes concerned about operating and maintaining two environments, their cloud environment and their on-premise environment. You've mentioned that FINRA operates in this hybrid world as well. How do you handle security operations across your cloud and on-premise environments?
0: In short, we make no distinction. And, And this starts with policies. So you know, we could have gone down the path of saying, you know, for infrastructure built and operated in the cloud, here's a set of policy security policies you must satisfy, right. and then have a different set for our private data center. I made the decision from the start that what we would do is we would take our historical policies and standards. And just update them right. for cloud use, and make them agnostic as part of that update. So they just state kind of the organizational requirement for security, right. without without um, making a distinction between where that IT system is being operated. Same is true on my security team. You know, we could have taken the approach of, of Bifurcating the team and having right. a team that's focused on you know our legacy tools and one focused on the cloud, I don't have a big enough team to do that. <laughs> I guess it's, it's part of it. I mean, my team team is adequate. We're doing an amazing job, but I really didn't feel like I had the luxury to do that, and and didn't want to, right. because the security skills, the the truly valuable skill set, is also agnostic to where workloads are running. I mean. If you know how to secure Linux, it really doesn't matter where it's being run. Absolutely. Okay. And same is true for network infrastructure, email services, web services. You know, the expertise transcends uh, the cloud and, and traditional data centers. So I make no separation uh, or distinction between those. And we also, we, we take a essentially a lights out approach to operating in both environments, okay. but especially in the cloud. You know, as we are talking about earlier, everything that we deploy and run in the cloud is built by code. Right. We go, we, we discourage administrators from logging in to server instances. And we do that in a couple ways. Um, one is just by limiting who has that ability. Uh, and, and we have built a, a tool that allows them to request access when they need it, but they don't have a long-standing entitlement. So it's, it's got to be need-based. Uh, the other thing we've done is, is a little more um, friendly, I would say, in that we take all of the event data off of the servers, whether it is operating system event data or right. application logs or anything. And centralize that into a log uh, management pr- uh, platform. Okay. So now it's actually quicker for an administrator to go to a dashboard, which you know does analytics on right. event data and highlights the things that are problems for them in a matter of seconds. Instead of investigating on to the log server in itself and start yep. tailing logs, and you know, it's just we've made it again back to easy. Make right. it easy guess what it's what people do so we've uh, we've invested a lot of energy into making things making the right things easy for our staff and then they do it
1: one of the elements that is often overlooked when contemplating a move to the cloud is the impact that the new paradigm brings from a culture and skills perspective at FINRA, how did the move to a devsecops continuous deployment infrastructure as code culture impact your respective security, infrastructure, and operations and development teams?
0: Yeah, Clark, it had a huge impact. Um, Really, to get the most out of cloud, you have to fundamentally transform IT in many dimensions all at the same time. (laughs) So for FINRA, you know, the key ingredients were open source adoption, uh, agile development methods, embracing DevSecOps, and also having a willingness to redesign our applications as we prepared them for move into the cloud, rather than, than taking a lift and shift approach, right. which really mutes the benefit of the cloud. Uh, we redevelop everything, re engineer and redevelop it before we move it to the cloud. So at the time that we started our journey, which was about five years ago, there really were no cloud experts. Right. <laughs> Whatever experts they there were worked for cloud companies, right? You know, so you you guys did at the time have enterprise architects, and you had some some training that you offered, right. um, And so the approach we took was really to develop our own expertise. We did hire a couple people who who had some of that key expertise already, right. just a little bit of experience, but. They were just, you know, one or two people, and we have a pretty large development organization. Uh, so we had to do this through training and developing our own expertise. And we sent some people to your classes, but then within a month or two, our level of expertise within our organization, quite honestly, was on par with your architects. Your That's enterprise great. architects. Uh, and it, and I think this came from a thirst for learning. Right. What we saw in our organization is that people kind of fell into three groups naturally. Those who were naysayers, cloud will never work, why are we doing cloud, <laughs> this is crazy. And then there were the those with the thirst to learn, You know, they saw the benefits of cloud, they saw how it was gonna transform IT and they wanted to be a part of it. And then there was the group in the middle which is kind of the cautious we'll wait and see right. um, to figure out which camp they're gonna vote with their you know, vote themselves into at some point. Um, most of those people are, are in the, the cloud is awesome camp now. Right. <laughs> right? Um, but really, it, it, you know, we developed our own boot camps, our own training programs. Uh, we gave, as I mentioned earlier, we created a development environment where experimentation is encouraged. Right. All those things really primed the pump for learning and building expertise that we needed to, to be successful.
1: So, as you're building out the sort of the, the cloudiness of your uh, security teams, did you embed developers from, from other teams into your security organization? Did you train your security professionals on how to code, or or yeah. a mix of that? How, yeah. how, how did it how did it work?
0: I think it's both those things. So yes, and yes, um, we so security has transformed as well as part of this 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 journey. Um, in that you know just about everything we do in my security team embraces automation so okay. developing our own automation utilities to uh, you know whether it's to measure compliance and report on it uh, or to deploy our tools and make them operate in the cloud um, so we we've had a need for security professionals with developer skills and there's two ways or three ways to get them Find people that already have what you want, right? Or if they're good security people, hone their developer skills. Or if they're developers with an interest towards security, well, steal them. <laughs> so so um, I, I have had a number of staff join my organization from other parts of the IT organization at Finra. So some developers who who become interested in security and they've they've moved over and, and you know contribute greatly to our success.
1: Stephen Schmidt. Is well known for at least two mantras: one, keep humans away from the data, and two, automate as many security processes as possible. Are you and your teams aligning with that guidance? And if so, are you realizing any benefits from that approach?
0: Yeah, I mean, both of Steve's mantras are are excellent, um, and we we embraced them quite honestly before Steve so eloquently said them. But, <laughs> um, you know, we. we Probably didn't realize we were, but, but once I, I heard um, those things from Steve, I was like, wow, those are good, and hey, we're already doing them. Um, you know, f- earlier we were talking about IAM. So our approach to IAM in the cloud is, we go down to those fine-grained entitlements to limit who can do what, and also what can a process or piece of code do in terms of actin- acting on other resources. At this point in time, I look at the. We, we've developed a tool. We call it the Cloud Compliance Portal to actually manage that set of entitlements. And when I look into that platform today to mm-hmm. see the volume of entitlement combinations between roles and services and actions on services right. that we're managing, I mean we're talking like a hundred thousand elements, discrete. Combinations of role, service, and action. So it's it's a huge problem if you try to do that manually. Right. Um, so we've we've developed some tools that that help us with that. Uh, and then in terms of embracing automation, I mean we've been talking about it the whole time. Right. That's really the way you get value out of cloud, and it also gives value to security so we have taken the approach of automating all of our security processes in the cloud as well.
1: As you've become more knowledgeable and have gained experience about security in the cloud, what trends are you seeing develop in regards to successful and of course secure adoption or for continued security operational excellence?
0: So we've talked about the fundamentals already. I guess I'd like to talk about what excites me and that is what I think comes next or at least i hope comes next in terms of the amazon ecosystem you know the amazon ecosystem when we first began adopting it was adequately secure and it's only become more secure you know with features like the key management service right. guard duty shield macy And partner you know things available in the 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 marketplace partners that have developed capabilities that the customers can consume Um, but I think there's more I think in the future you know it it could grow into more of a secure community so think of it like if you live in a gated community right right (laughs) you get some natural security benefits of that gate limiting who can visit your community and your community might have a neighborhood watch, right? That they're looking for certain things going on in, in that community that, that are undesirable to the residents of the community. So I think of Amazon, the ecosystem there, as kind of akin to that. And Steve Schmidt and his team and the tools and capabilities that they have developed and are continuing to develop kind of build better gates around the community and help everybody watch for you know, attacks, and and other undesirable activity that's going on uh, in a way that that helps us all better defend ourselves. For our
1: listeners who are just starting out or whose security operations in the cloud are less mature than FINRA's, what advice would you give them as they begin their journey and start to develop operational maturity
0: on the platform? Well I guess first and foremost don't be afraid. Um, You know have an open mind but of course question everything and Probably the most important thing is take advantage of the good work that others have done. So there's a lot of resources out there that that you can draw on. The the Cloud Security Alliance has published guidance on on how to securely adopt the cloud. The CIS frameworks uh, or benchmarks, there is a CIS AWS Foundations benchmark that you should look at. And Amazon has extensive security guidance published on its website as well as tools like inspect and config with pre-built profiles that help you build infrastructure in a secure manner. So take advantage of all that as you move, as well as you know, understand your own unique needs and make sure they're being satisfied by the solutions that you're putting in place.
1: John, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing the Spinner story.
0: It's been my pleasure, Clark. Thanks for having me.